Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast of Mercy Unbound. Today, I speak with Father Eric Weldon on a priest from his diocese, Father Emil Capon. We're going to talk about the great story and heroism of this man. Enjoy the show, share it, subscribe, and I hope you like it. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a series that aims to provide hope and avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today, I have a priest from the Diocese of Wichita, Kansas, and we're going to talk about a priest from his diocese who lived about 100 years ago, a tremendous heroic man. Um, Father Eric Weldon is with us. Uh, I met him a couple months ago as, as I did a parish mission in his uh, Church of the Sacred Heart in Colwich. If I remember correctly, Pilsen, Kansas is where Father Emil Kepen was from, and we're going to talk about him today. First, I'm going to make sure that we got, there we go, that we got Father and I in view here. Um, Father, there's some interesting things about Father Capen. Uh grew up in Pilsen, Kansas. He was born in 1916 on Holy Thursday, the day of the Last Supper and the evening when Jesus instituted the Eucharist. On All Saints Day in 1950, his platoon was overrun by thousands of Chinese. He died as a prisoner of war on May 23rd, 1951. He was an army chaplain, but he was a tremendous example of heroism and faith. He was awarded a Congressional Medal of Honor. And Pope John Paul declared him venerable, and he's hopefully on his way to canonization. I just, you grew up in the area, you've studied Father Emil, and um, I grew up in the Midwest, a farm boy from Ohio. And when I was out your way, I uh, really felt I was home. Uh, so I can kind of understand Father Capon in the sense he was just a great Midwestern man with deep faith. But can you tell us a little bit about what you understand the uh, early days of Father Capon growing up and his parents and their faith? Well, he, Emil was actually a simple, humble kid from a small family in Marion County of Czech descent and a, a Czech community up there in Pilsen, ergo the name, and uh, the name of the church, St. John de Pomacene. This is where he grew up. So it's a beautiful church, you know, still there, very active. And he made all his sacraments there. And, you know, he was just, he was the kid who did his work on chores at home and then, and then made it to, um, to mass in the morning to be an altar server, et cetera. And um, just kind of a hasty, uh, a healthy hasty farm kid, you know? And so that was just a good thing. I, um, had the pleasure of speaking in that parish probably five, six years ago. And I just kind of fell in love with the story and yeah. the parishioners had made a rosary CD that we still have in the car. We play uh, talking about father Capon uh, on all saints day. As I mentioned, uh, his platoon was overrun by thousands of Chinese. I mean, they were overwhelmed and he had the opportunity to escape. The men were saying, go pull back father, go back. But he was running around, uh, what, do you, what do you know about that experience in the writings of the books and things? Well, he was already known to go into the thick of battle, you know, to really get out there and, and get beyond the, the perimeter, as it were, um, to get beyond 
the foxholes to go out there and reach fellows who have been shot and to give them last rites or try to comfort them in their last moments of life. And so he really wanted to reach out to them. He wanted to, uh, I mean, he was living his life as a parish, I mean, a, a Catholic chaplain in the army in combat to the fullest extent that he could. And he just never thought of his own life and they, and he was highly respected uh, by his fellow soldiers. I know it's kind of a testament to him, you know, that is, they referred to him as being all priest, all man. And that's the plaque that's out there in Pilsen, Kansas, in the cemetery behind the church. And I don't know, he, he just never stopped giving of himself for others, you know, who, who desperately needed him in that hour of need. So they get captured. And of course, um, many had been killed. But there was one right. gentleman I remember reading in a book, uh, Herb Miller was his name. Uh, didn't Father Capon carry him? And oh, yeah. Him? Right. Now, remember, it's All Saints Day. So he, he had Mass that morning on All Saints Day. That's the last day he ever celebrated Mass down here with us. Okay. So he celebrated Mass, and then, you know, then he got captured. And so on that trek, when, the, when he was captured by the Chinese communists, they gathered all those soldiers, and they, they marched him north to the Yalu River. That's where they're going. It's approximately three weeks, about 20 miles a day, living on nothing but a handful of birdseed or something like that, some millet, just ridiculous. It was bitter cold. It was terrible. Anybody who fell was usually shot, and, and they left them there on the side of the road, or they were forced to dig maybe, you know, real simple graves. But there was one guy, like you mentioned, Herb Miller, right? And he fell, and he injured, and he hurt himself, and they were going to shoot him, and and Father K, but he takes the, the rifle and he pushes it away and he moves it away, which you would never do. I mean, you, they're just automatically going to get shot. And they did not shoot him at that moment. So he just pushed that away. And then he reached over and he grabbed Herb Miller and put him over his shoulder and carried him a long way. And which, which is a, it's just a testament to, uh, I mean, unbelievable courage. I mean, it had to be spirit filled physical strength, you know. I imagine that. North Koreans didn't like him very well because he was such a beacon of hope. Right, right, right. They, why would anybody, one, you know, give their life for anybody else when you're all going to die anyway? And they hated them. And here's a man whom they knew who he was. He just wasn't one of the soldiers. They knew he was a chaplain. And so to carry him down the road is a very, I mean, it's, it's huge. It's a great witness to them, not that they accepted or understood it. You know, it's the amazing thing is here's this guy, such a beacon of hope to these men. I mean, they talk about the weather was 30 to 50 degrees below zero and they'd sleep together and they'd wake up half, half of them were dead. And right. we are living in this COVID time and uh, people are depressed, the suicides, abuse, alcoholism, et cetera, are rampant and yet father in all those difficulties was such a beacon of hope. And I think that's a message for all of us, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you also, you, you never know who you are until you're in the crucible. You know, you don't know who you are until you are, the food is gone, the, uh, the water is short and, and, and just the effectiveness, you know, the body can't be taken care of. You don't know who you are and when, what you're made of until that moment. I've been tested a few times in those moments. I'm, and it's always, you learn new things about yourself. Um, you're right. We, we're, we're going without less 
I mean, they went without less, obviously, no creature comforts at all, utter misery, hell on earth that he would describe it in the prisoner war camp, no doubt about it. And in the age we live in now, I, I would say we have, well, it's definitely true, we have less of a Christian identity in the nation. There's fewer people getting baptized. People do not know the Ten Commandments. They don't have a relationship with God uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. And so there is just less strength now. There's less strength. And so people, I don't know what they cling to. And so if you take away, I guess, a class, a coffee shop, um, the, the last remaining human interaction you may have with a small handful of people, then, you know, what helps keep you keep you together? you got to have that source of strength keeping you together. And a lot of people don't seem to have that today. You know, I've had this little upper respiratory infection, not COVID for a month, and it's just wearing me down. I'm thinking, this is this is like nothing compared right, to what right. this guy went through, you know? And, and I'm thinking, I'm carrying a cross. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna go lay down in your bed with clean sheets and and you know maybe your wife give you a glass of water and aspirin put it by the bed you know and you're gonna get like maybe just three and a half hours of sleep and you're angry and you're upset with that and here are these guys get nothing and getting I mean just it's a slow death from the first moment they're captured until Capon dies on May 23rd it's a slow death and you mentioned they didn't feed them much did they no no Lord Lord no. No, it was terrible. I mean, it was just a, a handful of what could be compared to like bird seed. I mean, it, it wasn't oats, it wasn't barley, it wasn't even kernels of wheat, you know, or, or rice. You know, there was no rice. They, they didn't even give them that because the soldiers, their captors, they ate the rice. And I mean, that's how bad it was. And it just wasn't, you could barely eat it. You could barely digest it. And then that would just mess with your body. I remember reading in one book, father had an ability to make, you know, they'd get tin, they'd scraps of tin and fine, and he'd make drinking cups and he was able to carve them so it wouldn't leak water. And the other uh, prisoners were always amazed at his things that he knew. It's kind of like reminding me of growing up on a farm, you know, you improvise. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder, you know, what kind of soldiers that we can have today compared to uh, a nation that was at least 30 to 50%, if not more agrarian. You know, I mean, when you got a country boy like that, who already is working very hard, doesn't come, I mean, there's no electric, I mean, there's not a lot of electricity and, and certainly no air conditioning and certainly no deluxe cars that we have today, you know, so when he's with those guys, and they're improvising and they make little drinking cups, you know, that's really, I mean, it just shows you do what you, you do what you can do at that moment. I thought you were going to say in the mornings he would get, you know, twigs and a couple of leaves or something like that. And he'd pour some hot water in there and he would tell the guys he's got coffee, you know what I mean? Yeah, Sense yeah. of humor, got a little coffee, you know, joke around, stuff like that. And he was good at that, wasn't he? He, he lifted their morale up and was a oh yeah yeah i mean he they knew he was the morale builder they knew they had they had to go against him all the time i mean when because he and their and their daily indoctrination right when they would just be harangued with communism you know every day he would speak up and defend you know uh the dignity of the human person uh freedom of religion um 
the rights that we have in the United States of America and the Bill of Rights and how they all come together. And he would talk about these freedoms and they hated him for it. They hated him for it. So I remember reading one part in a book where, you know, here these are, they're starving. There's not enough food to go around and they're dying of starvation. And, and yet one time he must have confronted the officers and reminded them that the enlisted men get to eat first. And I thought, well, that's interesting uh, because for the morale of the, of the enlisted men, that was the way it should have been done. And everybody was just trying to stay alive. But um, he, uh, he had to remind the officers that they weren't going to eat first. Even though well, it is, it, I mean, it is tough. I mean, to maintain your presence, your, your bearing and your presence of mind in the midst of your, of, of every single creature comfort you could have, the very food that sustains life has been stripped from, from you. And so then, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to, what's that going to do to you? How are you going to react? And, you know, the officers always let the troops eat first, but, you know, sometimes people forget it. Some of the guys were forgetting that right in the midst of that, that unbelievable, terrible living environment. And, and it got incredibly cold. I mean, you know, in Florida, I'm used to heat and uh, you're talking terrible cold 30 to 50 degrees below zero yeah bone chilling i mean bone chilling terrible cold that they, they the only way to stay warm is, is to lay next to each other and then they may lay together you know 10 men and then they'd wake up and five of them would uh be frozen to death in the morning that that just had to the mental well, or the or you or you die because the, the will gives up I mean, you're, you're just, your will is gone. And, and that's what, that's what, that will get you. I mean, because the human spirit has a resiliency that's just absolutely unbelievable. You know, when you, when you, as a doctor, you've seen people, and I mean, as a priest, I've been to hospitals, I see people, I mean, this guy is still alive. I can't believe it. And it, it, the human person is a mystery. And a lot of it is the will, you know, right. And a lot of it's relational, right. You'll see um, a beautiful relationship between a husband and a wife and, you know, he dies, she goes in a month or vice versa, or six months later or something like that. And this is not uncommon. And so there's the, the mystery of the human person and what keeps you alive. And so there you are in that prisoner of war camp. And there's people that, um, that did not make it because they just, the, the, whatever it is inside of them switched off. And maybe what allowed Father Capon to persevere too was his I, I think he used to call the men his boys. So they right. were under his wing, you know, in that same sense. Well, yeah, it was very affectionate. It's very affectionate and it's very brotherly. You know, you got the boys with me and everything like that. We're going to be fine. And because uh, they were calling him Padre, they were calling him Father. You know, the Catholics were at least. Or other guys were calling him Chaplain, you know. And so they were, it was real, a real sense of endearment going on. And it wasn't just the Catholic soldiers, it was Protestant and atheists and everybody else recognized his heroic yeah. even Even a few Muslims, you know? So, I mean, he's, they're all recognizing the, the part that he's playing. For some, he is a priest, and for some, he is a good holy man, and for others, he's a great morale builder and a, and a, and a strong, strong man. But everybody seemed to respect him. 
I forget how he was injured. Was it just from the debilitation of the starvation or he hurt his ankle or something and had a wound? No, he, he developed a blood clot in his leg, which I think comes from, fro from frostbite, you know, and lack of, of blood circulation and lack of movement. I think that's, and then, and then also no nutrition. I think that's what did it. I mean, if your life is about going under the wire and coming back, with a radish in your cheek to share with us somebody else a radish, which most people don't want on their salad, you know, then, I mean, that's how bad it is. And that's, I mean, it's not like they're eating any protein. Then they used to try and escape or get out of the confines at night and look for any little kernels of corn or just anything on right. the ground. It was just right, Ex exactly, exactly. So all those things contribute to his health and to the blood clot hitting his leg. And, it, and then they took him to what they called the hospital, but they all knew that that wasn't the hospital, was it? Right. Now, now, mind you, they tried to make an example of him, you know, before that, you know, by locking him up solitary, getting him away and everything like that, dealing with them head on, all those kinds of things happening. So especially in those, those conferences they would have every day, those indoctrination classes. But when he was finally spent, when he was gone, when the when the dysentery uh, had got him and the blood clot was coming back and, you know, the teeth are going away and it's it's it. He's becoming skin and bones. And they put him on that stretch and they take him to the hospital that the, the communists want him to die away from everybody else. They don't want anybody gathered even around him when he dies. They know he's going to die. And then, then they do not want him giving any more hope to anybody. What did he say to his men uh, as he was leaving? Uh, wasn't there a quote? Do you, you remember? Did he have a comment about, you know, I've been working for this for many years and don't worry about me type thing? Well, well he's been planning on this for many years to get to heaven and he... He was giving him blessings and he forgave his captors and they're taking him away. But I, you're going to have to refresh me on that. <laughs> well, I was just thinking what I remember reading was, you know, he told his men, don't worry about me. I've been oh. this for many years and I'm going to see Jesus soon. But yeah, talking about forgiving his captors, I bet that kind of the Chinese and North Koreans didn't know how to react to that one. Well, yeah, they, they, they wouldn't know what to do with forgive us for what we don't care. I mean, we don't know why. That they're, they're, they're completely divorced from, I mean, there's a two different worldviews, two different planets, and they don't understand this Christianity at all. They don't understand this, this, this love, this action of even giving yourself in that way. So he died on May 23rd, 1951. When the war ended, what, wasn't there a cross or something uh, that the men had made or share that with us? There was a non-Catholic man, a Jewish man, I think, right, who made a cross out of the um, wood that they had in the in the compound, and he made that cross in honor of Father Capon, you know, after he was dead. And didn't they carry that over the bridge, I guess, whatever, the, from the north to the south, I think, I remember reading that they... Uh, in, in reverence to Father Capon. Uh, and they, they didn't, you know, they brought it home, yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't they find father's remains some time ago? 
Yeah, just within the last, um, was it this year or last year? It's got to be, I think it's this, this spring, they found his remains. They found it in the uh, National Cemetery of, of the Pacific, which is in Hawaii, in what is commonly colloquially called the Punch Bowl. And they found it there, and it was from a massive exchange of POWs and deceased soldiers from the Korean War between the North Koreans and us, United States, in 1953, 54, probably 54. And so we received these remains, and there was about over 700 of them of the four or 5,000 that we were not, there's no identity. And so there was confusion about who they were and to clean them up and everything like that, they used chemicals that at that time got rid of everything except bones and teeth. And they did not, we did not have the technology at that time to, or even up until the 1970s or 80s to really understand the DNA, we thought we had washed it away, destroyed it. But we have uh, new ways of, of developing the DNA and finding it. And so that's what they took care of in just recently. Now, will his remains be brought back to Pilsen? The remains are going to be brought back to Wichita. Wichita. And in Wichita, they're going to have a... Um, they're going to have a memorial liturgies, uh, Vespers liturgy at the cathedral and then enormous mass at a place called Hartman Arena. And then after that, uh, no, it, we'll get to spend some time in Pilsen and then the cathedral and then this, this memorial mass because um, he's never got to have a, a, a funeral mass. And then he will be uh, interred at the cathedral. cathedral. Yeah. Now, here's a little interesting thing, just the way life is. Just things happen, right? So Capon, or Capon, because he calls himself both. With family, he's Capon, and with Americans or somewhere else, or with the family, they Americanized it and called themselves Capon. But when he went into the military, he called himself Capon. It's interesting. So anyway, um, he was in a body bag or some sort of bag you know, containing the remains, but it was identified with an Air Force officer. But... It was, you know, misnamed, of course, misidentified. And so when they checked that, the bag of the supposedly Capon, they realized that it had wisdom teeth. And the thing is, is right before Capon went to combat in Korea, while he was in Japan waiting, he had his wisdom teeth removed. And so they looked in the other bag of this officer, Air Force officer, and he did not have his wisdom teeth. And so they knew that there was misrepresentation or misidentified. And so then with more DNA and then matching that DNA with father Capon's nephew, Ray, then, um, then you could get the match. Huh. That's the beautiful, that's just the weird thing about it. It's like, if he did not have his wisdom teeth removed, you know, in 1950, before he is deployed, you know, it's, that's kind of wild. Yeah, interesting story. Now, don't, yeah. the, don't the people in Pilsen have a long walk every year in honor of Father? Well, what it is, is I, I started this walk in uh, 1929, uh, 2009. I did it with about myself and, and my brother-in-law and two other guys. 
And so we did this uh, 60 miles in three days because I thought, you know, this is what Capon did for two weeks. This is what we could do in honor of him. It's a pilgrimage and we're just going to, we're going to try to love him and grow from this. And uh, it was, it was a challenging point in my life as a priest to grow, to mature, uh, to heal. And so I, I did that with them and it was a tough one. Trust me, because <laughs> you don't know what it's going to, I mean, I'm reconned it many times, but you don't know really what it's going to be like emotionally. So we did 60 miles, about 58 to 60 miles in three days. It was tough. And what are the dates of that again? It's always ends on the first Sunday in June. Okay. It always ends on the first Sunday in June. And so it's grown from four people to sometimes over 200. Awesome. But we lengthened it to four days. So four days makes it a little bit easier. You just have to camp out one more time i'm gonna to have to try and make that one of these times i think that'd be <laughs> well we don't yeah that'd be great stay healthy because we need a doctor yeah now father share with us uh you know of course in the process to beatification and canonization you've got to have miracles and mm. in the books we talked uh, i read about the cures of avery girlman and nick de la sega can you share a little bit with us on the, those cases, uh, what, what you know? Or... Well, I was personally involved with Avery Gurleman. She was a seventh grade girl in um, a parish in Wichita where I was the pastor. And she was real active, uh, you know, good kid, good student. It was real active playing soccer. And I, I think she was in a, a soccer tournament in Southern Missouri, Southwest Missouri. And while, she, you know, they're in the middle of the field, I mean, she just, she doubles over and has a, has a, uh, some sort of an intestinal attack, coughing up blood, very bad, get her out of there, put her in a hospital, I think in Springfield, and then bring her over to Wichita in a regular hospital room. And then they went from the regular hospital room. That's where I finally saw her in that regular hospital room. And then they took her to um, intensive care pediatric. And that's when she totally crashed. Lungs, kidneys, and they couldn't understand it. And so they they induced a coma to try to control her and bring her to health. But her, her father, um, her father, her parents are Sean and Melissa. Her father, Sean, documented every single day, everything that happened, everything that he prayed, everybody that prayed for Avery. And I, you know, visited her again, obviously, in the ICU, like more than a, a few times, you know, and and, and really, she was she was dying. She was going to die. There's nothing they could do. I mean, it's round-the-clock dialysis, breathing machine, induced coma. That's how bad it was. So I remember going up there, and I prayed over her again. And every time I prayed, I would take the Father Capon card, and I would hold the Father Capon card on her head, and I would um, say the Capon prayer I would invoke his name. I would pray for her. Our Father, Hail Mary, glory be. Give her the anointing of the sick. You know, praying for her. And I remember what happened was I went home and it was All Saints Day, you know, like the next day. And I asked everybody at all the masses to pray for a girl in our parish named Avery who's going to die. 
And so it's All Saints Day. And, you know, this is English and Spanish. This is everybody. I said, everybody, we're going to pray for this girl right now. And she's not going to make it in, unless it's God's will. And we did that on All Saints Day. And so then a couple days later, on the 3rd, I was able to get up to the hospital. So I was just making a routine, you know, just to check, see what's how we're doing. And her dad said, well, something interesting has happened. She, of her own strength, has decided, or her body, she is breaking out of the coma. She's coming out of the coma of her own strength. And I said, when did the vital signs change? And he told me, All Saints Day. Hmm. Praise the Lord. So, oh my gosh, super powerful, super powerful. And so this is what happened. And, and so, um, you know, it's wonderful. Now, meanwhile, doctors are saying, even if she comes out, she's got dialysis two times a week. She's not going to make it past her teen years. If she does, she's going to be in a wheelchair or in a bed. This is it. And so, I mean, each passing day or week, she's just getting better, getting stronger. It was incredible. So. What a story. Oh, yeah. Oh, and within a year, she's playing soccer. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's astounding. And, and her doctors, the, the ICU specialists, family practice, all the doctors, they're testifying to this, especially the, the uh you know, the, the ICU specialist, you know, they are actually speaking to the miracle of this. Good, good. Now, I read a little bit, don't remember too much, on Nick De La Sega. He was, he was uh, doing some sort of run, I guess, and uh, his uh, uncle was a, car a cardiac doctor, and Nick had an arrest or something. Does that, does that no, matter? No, no. Oh, gosh. We're a little convoluted. Nick, um... I know Nick's, yeah, Nick, Nick had a really good, he Nick's in, Nick's in this fun run, it's like a 5K or something like that, okay? Right, right. And he's got, you know, uh, a nephew, or no, excuse me, a cousin who's running and all sorts of stuff, and, and everybody knows each other, and they're out there running, and he's clipping along, and I think he's, you know, probably within, you know, I don't know, a few hundred yards of the finish line, and, and he collapses, and he has a heart attack or something like that, or the heart stops, whatever. So there, there, his, I think it might be, yeah, somebody who's a doctor, a family doctor, a family member who is a doctor, and they're trying to take care of him. And, and then the, uh, the ambulance shows up and the, um, the ambulance medic is a friend of Nick's from high school who has left the faith, who at that time had left the faith. And was still, you know, in the ambulance and, you know, was a paramedic. And so they're all taking care of Nick. And Father, I think Father Nick's, excuse me, uh, Nick De La Sega's uh, a cousin is observing all this. He's a young, younger fella. Um, and he's praying for Nick the whole time, invoking Father Capon. And while in the hospital, in the ambulance, I, I think he comes to, or, or, or maybe a little later on, ah, Nick knows better, but it, it's all through 
the prayer of his family relative, a cousin, and then also God working at that moment when others needed to see it. Right, right. I mean, that's what I want to happen. You know, for me, it's a, also beautiful stories because we're asking for Father Capon to intercede and take it to the Lord. And it just shows our faith. You know, we believe in the communion of saints and uh, we're all one big family. Exactly. Yeah. People don't understand that concept, but um, boy, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, got powerful intercessors like Father Capon and any, any closing thoughts here, Father, before we close out today's show? Uh, no, no it's, um, I would just say that we really need to remember that it is a, a family of faith. The communion of saints is one, heaven and earth together. And we're all living in the kingdom of God, the baptized, living God's will, and struggling to do that all the time, which is the big journey of life. And there are those who have gone before us who don't just model faith or were great examples, and yet they are also those who intercede for us. And Father Capon is that, is that man. Um, Father Capon, his miracles, Nick, I think, might be the oldest person. And he was in his 20s. He was the oldest person to have a miracle. Everybody else are young, younger than that. So it looks like Father Capon is really reaching out to the young. That's powerful. So I would just say that we need to continue to seek the intercession of Father Capon uh, through whatever need you may have and for God to bring him into the public cultus of saints in the Catholic Church so that others may know what he has done and how he's given his life for us, for Christ, for us. So that, so that I mean, he just did it in the way of loving God, loving neighbor that we, are, we have learned since we're children. And the world needs to know who Father Capon is. Wonderful. Our country, United States, needs Father Capon. Right. Kansas, where we're from, is, needs Father Capon. Um, we need that strength now. God raises up people in the midst of trial. Well, Father, I want to thank you for joining me today on Mercy Unbound. Uh, people, I hope you enjoy the video. You can listen to the podcast at all the uh, platforms or at Dr. 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 Brian Thatcher.com. I hope you can join us next time on Mercy Unbound. And thanks again, Father. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash Dr. Brian, B-R-Y-A-N Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R. And on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference. And please consider support our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbrianthatcher.com.